Hey. Okay, okay. I know we're all enjoying our conversation. We've had a nice break. Um, I don't know what Raf is thinking giving me a microphone, but here I am up at the front, um, ready to preach to you guys. Um, did everybody have a good Christmas? Just give me some feedback to start off. Did anyone have a bad Christmas? If you had a bad Christmas, just know God is with you. God is good all the time, and he has good things for you this year. And he has them for you in this family of people. I'm already off topic. These are my notes. I've got my notes. I'm already off topic. But I just want to encourage you guys that I've been here for two years now, just over two years, and I just can't tell you the support I've had in this church from all the people here. It, it is just, it's a family. I came here as a missionary, and now I'm getting you know, ahead of my, t- my notes, but I came here as a missionary um, alone. I believed God wanted me to move to Majorca. And if it hadn't been for this church, if it hadn't been for this family, I just wouldn't have survived. I don't even know a month in this place because I live in Magaluf. And before I came here, I was reading Revelation where it says to the church in Pergamum, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. <laughs> Let me tell you, Magaluf feels like that sometimes. Um, not right now, though. It's winter. It's lovely. Private beaches. Come on down. Come see me. But uh, yeah, the support of this family has just been overwhelming for me. And I just want to encourage everyone here, be part of the family. Look to each other. This prayer team like, are such awesome people. I don't even care if you need a parking space tomorrow morning for a job interview, come and ask for prayer for a parking space tomorrow morning. Right, I'm going to try and get back to my notes. Today's message is titled, I have a title. Raf doesn't usually have a title, but I've got a title. Um, let's see, where's my clicker? Here we go. There we go, we ask you, that's the title. Nope, it's not Josh's first PowerPoint, that's not the title of it. The Gospel in One Minute or Forty. So the reason I've called it that is because I believe you can preach the gospel in one minute, you can preach it in 40, I mean you can preach it in 10 hours, it's just about the content and how much you include. My first reader, yes I have readers this morning, is Sophia, she's just going to come up now and read for us the gospel. Come on up Sophia. Everybody give Sophia a big hand, come on. Here's your microphone. Timo, we on? You're doing great, Sophia. This is all Timo's fault. Come on, Timo. Go ahead. Two Timothy two eight. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Thank you, Sophia. Amazing. Again, thank you, Sophia. Well, there you go, guys. There's the gospel. Thank you for coming. Uh, if the worship band would like to come back up. Um, I'm going to come back to that uh, passage. I'm sure you've heard it before. It's 10 words. So I'm, I'm, I've said the gospel in one minute or 40. There's the gospel in 10 words. So hopefully that's inspired a lot of questions. How can the complete gospel, how can we have a Bible this big um, condensed into 10 words? So as I said, I'm a missionary here. And I came to Magaluf, and I came to Magaluf in the winter. So people were like, what are you doing coming to Magaluf in the winter when it's quiet? Well, for me, there's people who live and work in Magaluf who are here all year round, and they can be the invisible people that get missed. 
We see the tourists. We have amazing outreach, like Reach Mallorca, which targets tourists. We have street angels. We have such good ministries on this island. But I came for the people who live and work here because I want to see change on the island. And it's the people who are here 24-7. And if you think of how embedded they are in this island, that if we bring them to Jesus, imagine the difference they will make. It's not, it's not just us. You know, it's not us trying to get people through that, those doors. It's the people who live there. Because I've been here for two years, and I'm very conscious of the fact that I don't want to come across as, hello, everybody, I've come to help you. Let me bless you from my middle-class British background with the gospel that you can be like me. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is about real people in every circumstance. Most people have one reason when you ask them why they're not a Christian. And they'll say, suffering. I can't, can't abide by suffering in the world. Why would God allow suffering? Some people say, I used to go to church and someone there was mean to me. So they've gone to one church and one person has been mean to them and they write it off. And I find in Magaluf, that if you have an answer to these one questions that are the most common questions, it's, it's, I don't know, seven, shall we say. There's seven points usually that people are like, that's the reason. And they never expect you to have an answer. Now, what that is, is apologetics. That's defending the faith. Now, that's a much bigger thing than we're going to look at today, because today we're looking at the gospel, which is described by some people as the simple gospel. Sometimes it's the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul calls it my gospel, as in his, not mine, Paul's gospel. Um, so the question is, what is the gospel? How can there be different versions of the gospel? And that's what I'm going to try and clarify today. And I'm going to clarify it first by making you even more confused about it, and then I'll try and bring you back around. Because I felt with my responsibility as a, as a missionary here, there's been times where I've had a conversation with someone and I've shared the gospel with them passionately and I'm like, this is great. I told them everything. They're going to go home and think about that. And then I think, oh, I didn't tell them to repent of their sins. That's kind of a big one, you know? And I feel like as a missionary, my responsibility is to try and make sure I hit all the points. Now, each person you meet is individual and different, so the way you express the gospel can be different, but I just feel there's certain points you want to know that you're hitting. And I'm hoping you're all thinking at the moment, do I know the gospel? Do I know what all the points are? Because this is something I've been working on whilst I'm here as a missionary. So I've, I was a Christian for 31 years before I came to Mallorca, um, and I've been thinking about this for the last year. The most important thing I would say when you meet someone though and you're sharing the gospel is that you want to inspire curiosity. It's the same as bringing kids to school. Teaching them stuff is great, but inspiring them to want to learn is the important thing. And it's exactly the same with the gospel because people, like I said, people just have that one thing that will stop them. And if you just give them a little bit, they'll go, mm, well, if I'm wrong about that or I haven't thought that through, then what else have I not through? Inspire curiosity. And like I said, there's a difference between sharing the gospel and apologetics, where someone says, how could God have created the earth in seven days? And you've got, again, seven different answers for that question. Everybody might believe something different, but the important point is that God is the creator, and that's where you have to focus. You have to focus on the truth, 
that's behind the story, not specifically the story sometimes. So this next point, I've, uh, just, I've written it down as being a debatable point. I hope some of you have notebooks today. I'm going to throw out some crazy stuff and not really talk about it. You might just hear a term, you might hear a sentence, you might hear a verse. If you have your phone, if you have a notebook, and you hear something that you go, I need to know a bit more about that, and Josh hasn't gone through it, then that is your option, and um, please do that. So my debatable point is why I feel compelled to express the gospel. I've embarrassed myself. Yes, I'm one of these people who has times on their water bottle because I'm so bad at drinking water. I have to... Uh, have time, so I've just revealed that to you all. Please don't think less of me or think my talk is not valid because I'm that kind of person. So, Ezekiel 3, 16 to 19. That's what Sophia said. Ezekiel. So at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to, discuss, uh, to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save, I can't read that from here, to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person and they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they will die for their sin, but you will have saved yourself. That's one example. Our next example is Esther. When she was uh, queen, she was called to save her people from the king who had issued a decree that the Jews should die. And her uncle Mordecai said to her, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And the third example that I'm using is um, in Acts. Paul says, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim, proclaim to you the whole will of God. I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. So... Again, this comes back to what I said earlier about when I share the gospel, and I think, did I miss a, a really important point? Um, and that's, that's what I get from these examples. Now, the thing that we have to remember is Paul was, um, or sorry, Ezekiel was a watchman for Israel. He was specifically anointed for that, that role. Um, Esther was queen, and Paul was a, an apostle who describes himself as abnormally born, like his circumstances where he met Jesus was different from the other apostles. So these people had special callings on their life. So again, I'm going to try and narrow this down to what is, what is our um, calling as just Christians? Just forgive me, your average bloke in the pew. Um, because that's how I feel. That's how I will always feel. And even up here in front of you preaching now, that's still how I feel. You know, I just have been a Christian a long time, and the reason that I'm standing here is because I've had a lot of time to think about it, I've prayed about it, I've studied the Bible, and I'm confident enough in what I've learned and what I know to share with you. But I still know 1% of the Bible. I, know 1%, I don't even know 1% of God. I just know what I've experienced and what I've seen. So how do we, just as normal people, on the street, in work, at school, how do we share the gospel? 
So a few points that I want to share with you first is that I considered originally, this is, this is like I said, where things get confusing. I considered the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ. But in Mark 1.15, it says, Jesus himself says, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, when I was thinking about what is the gospel, that blew my mind because Jesus is saying, believe the good news before he died, before he rose again. So what was the good news that he was preaching at that point and how does it differ from what we preach today? In 2 Timothy... Paul says, as uh, Sophia read for us, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Again, that's, that's hard to wrestle with. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. I mean, if I went into the street and said to someone, remember Jesus Christ, descended from David, to be like, David Beckham? <laughs> you know, which, which David are you talking about? And I'd say, well, yeah, but Jesus like raised from the dead. And they'd be like, what do you mean by raised from the dead? What does that really mean to the average person on the street? And also then, um, remember Jesus Christ, you know? The one thing that I've learned and that I've experienced most on this island is that I haven't been introducing people to the concept of God and Jesus. It's been re-education because they've learned something that's inaccurate. And so they already have a pre, pre, uh, you know, idea in their head about who Jesus is and what you mean when I say, remember Jesus Christ. Now, the important point to remember there is that Paul's writing uh, to Timothy. And so he has prior knowledge. He has studied the scripture. He's been a Christian. So when Paul prompts him, it's a prompt for him. Here's the gospel. And he says, this is my gospel. So that's point three. Assume no prior knowledge. When you meet someone and you're going to preach with them or uh, speak to them about the, the gospel, you want to assume that they don't even know who God is. I literally had someone say that to me. And, it, you know, I really hope they were winding me up, but they said it so sincerely that I believed them. When I said, you know, I, I believe God loves you, they were like, what do you mean God? And I said, well, you know, like the concept of God or God's, and they were like, no. And that just completely blew my mind. Like someone just living, I mean, I just, again, I assumed prior knowledge. I assumed that God alone, that's a word that someone's going to recognize if I say it. But in that circumstance, they didn't. So Jesus was preaching the good news before he died and resurrected. Paul says, this is my gospel and does it in 10 words. And we have to assume no prior knowledge. So you can imagine, I can't just go into the street and say, hey, guy, remember Jesus Christ descended from David, raised from the dead. That's not going to do anything. That's not going to help. They're going to have more questions. Um, now, on that point, uh, these are my notes. Um, so we're just going to skip that point. Um, because it mostly talks about the prior knowledge you know, that, uh, that he had. But one of, the, one of the key points I will share from it is that um, it says descended from David. And the key point there is that Jesus was human. And it says that he was raised from the dead. And the key point there is that he was God. He came back from the dead. And he says himself, I lay my life down to take it back up again. He took his life back up again. So who's still with me?
I saw Ola. No, it's so good. Ola's still with me. We're going to have another reading now. If Steffi would like to come up for me, we're going to hear the gospel again. So what I want you to do now is consider what I've said already to you, all the confusing points, all the semi-clarifying points, and listen to as um, Steffi reads the gospel for us. Thanks, Steffi. Acts 17, 24 to 31. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in the temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Thank you, Steffi. When I used to preach the gospel, there was three key points for me that I believed that I needed to hit. They're probably the three key points that you would say to me if I asked you, what do you believe the gospel is? When I met Holly, we first started talking about Jesus in Palmanova um, when she was working. And she had such a curiosity about Jesus she knew about Jesus as a good person, but she didn't know him fully. Similar to what I was saying earlier, she had a certain amount of knowledge, but not the complete knowledge. And when I gave her the Bible, I asked her to read the Gospels. She had many questions. Many questions. But I just kept coming back to three points, which are somewhere in this slide. Was Jesus the Son of God? Did he die for our sins, and did he rise again? If I was to share the gospel with someone, I would say, Jesus is the Son of God, he died for our sins, and he rose again. Now, again, if we look at each of those points, who's Jesus, what does it mean for him to be his son, and who is God? What are sins that they needed to be died for? And again, rising again, what does that mean? And what are the implications of it?
I always used to consider this the are you a Christian test. People would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm like, okay. I'm like, what, what does that mean? You know, I pray. Okay. And you find that you can ask someone, do you believe that Jesus was the Son of God? And they go, oh yeah, of course. Of course he was the Son of God. And that he died for your sins? Sure. What about that he rose again? You know, not really. I just, I'm not sure about that. Or perhaps that he died for our sins. What does that mean to the person? Yeah, he died for my sins, so they're covered. I'm good. And so again, you can see how in sharing the gospel by just you know, making those points, um, you're missing key points. But the question is, if someone looked you in the eye and said, do you believe Jesus was the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe he died for your sins? Yes. Do you believe he rose again? Yes. That's a pretty good Christian test. It's a pretty good sign that you believe the gospel. So I'm going to actually give you 30 seconds now just to think about the gospel. What has your impression of the gospel been in the past? Have you an example of when you talked to someone about the gospel? What do you think you missed? What do you think you hit? I'm giving you 30 seconds to have some quiet time to think. Ask God, recall a circumstance for me, and let's just think about those points, okay? 30 seconds, I'm not really gonna count them ahead, I'm just gonna sit down and then come back up. So have a wee think, everybody. How did you do? Would you feel confident if I said to you, can you come up here now and preach the gospel in one minute? Would you be able to do it? Would you be confident that you hit every point? I mean, I've prepared this talk. I don't know when I started writing this. It was months ago, maybe a year ago, maybe longer. And I've wrestled with it and I've gone... Am I about to teach you guys the truth of what the gospel is? Am I going to send you guys out with an accurate thing to share with people? Also, that 30 seconds was actually part of the talk. It wasn't me just taking a 30-second water break. I just want to assure you of that. Um, So some of you may remember um, David Diaz, who came to uh, be an intern with us um, a while ago. And uh, he and I were discussing this, uh, I think with Timo actually on the way uh, to a hike, and he shared with me a short book called The Discipleship Gospel. And in this book, these guys, the writers claimed that there's seven key points to the gospel. Now this inspired me. I had three points in the gospel, so I had to make up a few more. So what are the seven points? What did I come up with? Here we go. God made everything. Sin separates us from God. Jesus is the Son of God. Our ultimate destination is either heaven or hell. For some reason, I couldn't think of a point five, but I could think of a point six. So Jesus died for our sins, and Jesus rose again. 
Now, if you ask me, I still think that's pretty good. I'm quite happy with that, coming up with that. Uh, still not sure what 0.5 should be, but I just felt it definitely should end with Jesus Rose again. So this is the points that came from the book, The Discipleship Gospel. And again, this is something I'd encourage you to seek out and because I can't go into great detail now. God's kingdom is here. You'll recognize that's a unique one for me. For me, I don't know, maybe I consider that a given. I've grown up in a Christian family. I've gone to church all my life. So the concept of God's presence, God's kingdom being in our midst, that's just natural to me. That's breathing. Jesus is the Christ. Again, what does that mean? He died for our sins. He was resurrected. Repent of sin. There's the point five that I was missing. And it's actually, I didn't realize when I was preparing this talk, it's actually at point five where I'd missed one. Point six for me, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not easy with. Believe the gospel. For me, we're trying to define the gospel and now you've got the uh, word in the definition. And point seven, follow Jesus, which is a very important one. So there we go. We've got my version of the gospel. We've got the discipleship version of the gospel. We've got Paul's version of the gospel. We've got the, um, the one they sent to Timothy. We've got the one from Acts. So let's talk about what is the actual gospel. Now, the reason, again, that I preach is Jesus said to his disciples, or to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Paul says in Ephesians, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And I thought he only said that once, but actually he says it to Timothy as well. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So, Making the most of every opportunity for me is when I meet someone in a pub and I'm with a friend and they say, Josh is a missionary and I might have one minute to talk to that person and I'm sitting there going, I can't let this person go. I need to share the gospel with this person. Making the most of every, every opportunity. So that's why this preach is so important to me. So point one that I have for you is God is the creator now, in apologetics, you'll find that this is the most common definition for who God is because it's the simplest to understand, funnily enough, from a scientific perspective. We are here. We are in space, matter, and time. And God who created those things is outside of space, matter, and time. He is the creator. He is the one who brought those things into existence. And the reason we know that is because as the creator, he must be spaceless, timeless, and matterless. Apologetics, look it up. Let's not go into it. It's a whole preach in itself. But the point is, the thing that came before us is not the thing that is here. It is something different. He created us. He created everything we see. And therefore, if he's outside of those things, he's something different. He's the creator. There's a few, like I said, apologetics uh, Discussions on, uh, sorry, how to uh, explain that, the ontological argument, the cosmological ar argument, the theological argument, and the moral law. I hope you all wrote those down. So those are, as I said, those are apologetics. Those are, I have an R to talk to someone about point one, God is the creator. So if you've got one minute and you say to someone, let me explain to you the ontological argument, 
They're first going to say to you, what word did you just say to me? They're not even going like, to wait for the explanation. So point two is our sins separate us from God. Now, you might notice this wasn't in either of the list of seven, but I've included it in my preach today because I find that when I'm talking to people about Jesus, about the need for a savior, they have no idea why they need a savior because they don't understand the consequences of their sin. And so I felt I needed to define what is the consequence of your sin. If you say to them it leads to death, they say, we're all gonna die, what does it matter? So just live as you want. So our sin separates us from God, that's a consequence. And that's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. They were with God, they were in the garden, and their sin got them cast out of the garden. They were separated from God. Isaiah 59 two says, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. That terrifies me. And the point is, we're not aiming for a turn or burn conversation with someone. We want them to know that sin separates them from God, from goodness, because God is good. We don't want to go with the, the turn or burn, if you don't become a Christian, you're going to hell, because we've known that for decades that's pushed people away. But the point is they need to know that there is consequences to their sin. Our natural inclination is to say, it's my life, I'm going to choose to live it how I want to live it. Adam and Eve were the first to choose that. They believed the deception of the snake and made a choice. Every day we make choices and we need to be careful about our choices. So point number three is Jesus is the son of God. And I have to admit, of all the points I have, that's the one that I say, you've got to take my word for it. <laughs> explaining that Jesus was begotten from God is tough. Explaining that Jesus is somehow the son of the creator, but that he lived here as a man is complicated. It's a mystery. And it's one of the greatest mysteries of being a Christian because it's part of the Trinity. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I've been a Christian for, I'm not going to tell you how long, a long time. And I still don't know what that means to some extent. <laughs> I have an understanding. I have a spiritual understanding. But trying to put something like that into words is still a mystery. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. And there's about nine ways you can explain it inaccurately. You know, a lot of people like to say, I'm a son. I'm also an uncle. and I'm also a brother. And I can't, again, get into it. But that's inaccurate of a way of describing the Trinity. So the best example, this is one of the best examples for me of you need to speak the truth to people. I was listening to uh, a guy talking about a difficult time in his life where he was walking away from God. He'd never been a Christian, but he had a particular sin in his life that he didn't want to hear was a sin. When he asked Christians about it, he knew what was coming and they didn't cookie cutter it. They didn't try and soften it up for him. They just shared the honest gospel truth with him and it changed his life and he became a Christian. 
And I think that's where we lay on responsibility for ourselves. Like I said, every conversation is different with people, and you adapt how you share the gospel. But the truth is what you need to get at. And like I said, this is one of the points where you just need to say to them, Jesus is the Son of God. To give you another example of the truth, so often when I'm praying for people on the streets, prayer ministry, anything, I'm like, God, give me this really profound word for this person. Let me change their life by what you want to say. And God says to me, tell them I love them. And I'm like, they probably know that, God. Everybody knows that. That's so simple, you know. Where's the, when you were seven, someone said something negative to you, and then I say that, and they're like, oh my goodness, you know, God knows you, you know. And I'm like, okay, do you want me to say that? And God goes to me, yeah. I'm like, okay. And I say, hey, God, or hey, hey, person, God loves you. They burst into tears. And they say to you, earlier today, I was like, God doesn't exist. My life is a mess. He doesn't care about me at all. And if I'd shared the whole gospel with them, they'd have heard of what he did for them. But what they needed to hear in that moment was that God loves them. And in the same way that that's just a basic truth that someone needs to hear, Jesus is the Son of God is a basic truth that they need to hear. To give you another example of that, because I like to share this because it's a way that I wrestle with God. And one of the prophets talks about feeling like his tongue, like being like a fire in his mouth and he couldn't keep it in. What God said to him was, I have to speak this out. And I sometimes feel that way, like I've had an allergic reaction, like my tongue is expanding in my mouth. And if I don't share what God has said to me for someone else, it's just going to get stuck. And there was one time I was uh, at a a gathering um, of an outreach ministry. And God said to me, can you tell them that all their leaders are going to leave? And I was like, probably not, God, though. And what he said to me is, how are you going to feel after you leave? when I've told you to tell them something and you haven't told them. And this comes back to Ezekiel saying, when he says to Ezekiel, if I warn them, if I tell you to warn them and you don't do it, they'll die in their sins, but I'm going to hold you accountable. And to Esther, deliverance will come from someone else, but who knows that you were placed for such a time as this. So I told them, your leaders are going to leave. New ones are coming because God told me that as well, thankfully. And two weeks later, all their leaders left. Which was a very encouraging moment for me, because I was like, oh, good, I could hear from God, and when I share, it's true. The, the, the evidence for whether someone's a prophet or not is whether what they say happens, and I was like, this is great for me. It wasn't so great for them, and they told me I wasn't invited back. Thankfully, it was a friend who said that, and relatively sarcastic, although it felt like there was a hint of truth in it as well. But in that moment, I knew this is what I need to say. And this truth, this single truth, is what they need to know. So point number four is Jesus died in our place. He was the son of God. His death was sufficient to cover every sin we've committed, every sin we have committed, every sin we will commit. It is covered in the blood of Jesus. That is truth. Speak that truth to people. They don't need to understand it straight away. They just need to hear it. And again, that's an important point, point of the gospel. I want 40 minutes with every person I meet, but I might only have one. Share with them that Jesus died in their place. Peter, uh, 2 Peter 2, verse 24, he quotes the earlier Isaiah passage. He says, uh, 
I'm sorry, the later Isaiah passage. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So if the last point about Jesus being the son of God is tricky, obviously him dying in our place is uh, quite a tough one as well. If you want a wee quick apologetic on that, a common example is a courtroom where you have a speeding fine and you go in and the judge says you're guilty and you owe this money. Your friend can step up and give you the money and you pay that fine. They've paid the debt that is owed in your place and you get to go free. I mean, that's amazing. And if I ever have a speeding fine, I hope someone here will be able to help me out. But uh, Jesus, Jesus did it for everything, everything you've ever done and ever will do. And the ever will do, this is a tangent, is so important. It is so important. It's something that I condemn myself for all the time. I'm like, I'm doing really good. 2023's gone off to a great start. I've sinned so little. And then I do something. And I'm like, I'm the worst person ever. Paul himself says, what a wretched man I am. And I have my moments where I feel like that. And those are moments of doubt. Those are moments where I'm rejecting what Jesus has done for me. I'm rejecting my Lord and Savior. Do not reject him. He covered every sin. When Raph asked me to preach today, I was like, sure, I've preached before. Happy to preach. Happy to be with you guys, to share the gospel with you. And then the enemy said to me, but you're a sinner. You have sinned. You don't deserve to be up there. And I was like, do you know what? Maybe I shouldn't preach. Because I listened to the lies of the enemy. I believed that my sin wasn't covered. And that I could sin later today. And that's covered. But I'd be like, oh, I was a sinner and I went up and preached. God sent Jesus to cover all of our sins. Every sin. And I just want you to be convinced of that. Funnily enough, the point of my talk is that you know the gospel, that you leave here confidently feeling you have, you're better equipped to share the gospel. And right now in this moment, I don't care about that. I just want you to know your sins are covered. That the reason you have authority to go and tell people the gospel is because Jesus saved you. You were bought at a price. And let's honor that. And let's go to everybody else who's been bought and share the gospel. No matter how bad you feel, know that Jesus has covered your sins and that you can preach. Here's the easy one. Accept Jesus as your savior. Another preach that I was trying to write, which I asked Raph, did he want me to talk on, is the sinner's prayer. I don't know if you're familiar with that terminology, but it's kind of what you're encouraged to do if you're like, yes, I want to become a Christian. Someone comes to the front. I would lead you in a prayer, and there's specific points that I would lead you through to uh, you know, accept Jesus. Lord, I confess I'm a sinner. I repent of my sins. I accept you, Lord Jesus, as my Savior. This is kind of the simple one, even though it looks complicated. Raph talked about this recently, where he said, 
I just accepted Jesus and nothing necessarily changed at that moment or he didn't feel the big change at that moment, but things happened after that point. Accepting Jesus, just saying, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior is more powerful than an earthquake or a tsunami or a volcano, but it can be such a quiet moment. It can be just a moment of peace. For some people, it's a moment of complete transformation. And actually, I'm going to contradict myself and say for every single person, it is a moment of complete transformation. We're just aware of it in different ways. Some people are freed from addiction. Some people are freed from a terrible home life by the grace of God moving in their situation, by just changing the mind and heart of someone else. Something monumental happens when you accept Jesus, whether you are aware of it or not. When Paul received Jesus, scales fell from his eyes. He was blind to the truth. And I think for a lot of people, the scales fall from our eyes when we become a Christian. John 1 verse 12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Again, to those who believed in his name, believe in Jesus. This comes back to the believe the gospel part of the discipleship gospel. I think the point they were trying to make is that you have all these points up to this point, and it's okay to know them, but it's about believing. So number six. Was that number five earlier? Anyway, repent of your sins. (laughs) The, The second Christian test that I have is, are you a sinner? The answer is yes. If you can't say the answer yes, you don't know your Bible, you don't know yourself, and you don't know what God says about you. You are a sinner. And until we reach glory, you will be a sinner. I'm sorry to tell you that if that's something you do. But you are. What I look for in someone is I say, okay, here's a sin that is evident in your life. Are you struggling with that sin? Or do you just accept that that's who you are? The worst thing I've heard Christians say about other Christians is, that's just the way he is. Bad behavior, we're used to it. Let's just accept it. Life's easier if we accept that. I hope no one ever says that about me. And I'm, gonna, I'm saying it from the front now. Please, none of you, if you ever find yourself about to say, oh, yeah, Josh is hard to talk to, but that's just the way he is. Don't do that. Come to me and go, hey, Josh, you're hard to talk to sometimes. I want to be a better person of myself. I want to be more like Jesus. And the scales are sometimes still in my eyes. I don't see the times when I'm not acting like Jesus. And I want other people to call me on it. I want you to be the watchman like, like Ezekiel. I want you to warn me of my sin, of where I've let you down, of where I've let myself down. Bit of a tangent, but again, the point is I want to repent of my sins. There would be a very great preach that I could do again on repentance. The simplest definition of it, taken from the original language, is to turn 180 degrees. It's to walk away in the opposite direction from your sin. So often when you look at sins that are mentioned in the New Testament, it's not try not to do this. It's not get close to the line. It's flee from it. It's don't get close to it. And that's what repentance is. It's I'm not going to look towards that sin anymore. I'm going to turn the other way and I'm going to walk in the other direction. 
final point then is to follow Jesus. James 2, verse 18b says, Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Now again, that's another talk altogether. What does it mean? But the point is, if you accept Jesus, if you come up and you pray the sinner's prayer with someone, and then you just go on and get on your life as normal, I'm not sure you've accepted Jesus. There's a sincerity. Like I read earlier, it says to those who believed in his name, it's not just who confessed his name, who said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. It's about accepting him. And when you accept Jesus, your heart changes. Your motivations change. Your outlook on the world and the concept of reality changes. And if your behavior can't change as well, then I worry. So what we're going to have now is the gospel one more time. So I have run over a wee bit. Holly's going to read this so quickly that you're not going to be able to understand it. But this is another example in the Bible of the gospel. may surprise you from where it is. I'm going to warn you, it's going to take about two minutes, but it's good stuff. <laughs> Thank you, Holly. Sorry. Is it pronounced Isaiah? Isaiah. Isaiah. <laughs> so again, think of the seven points I said were my seven points. Think of the seven points in the discipleship gospel and think of the seven that we've shared and listen for them in this passage. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut, in, he, he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Thank you, Holly. So 
So what I like to do when I preach is to give people homework, and your homework is to read Isaiah 53 again. Think about what I've talked about, think of the points that I covered, and see what you can see there. I mean, I don't know how many times I've read Isaiah 53, but again, preparing for this talk, when I read it, I was like, here's the gospel message in the Old Testament. Jesus hadn't even come yet, and almost every point is in there. It's incredible. And another thing that Jesus said before he died on the cross was take up your cross daily. And that's my challenge to you as well. He said that again before he died on the cross for us to know the relevance. We know the relevance of that because we know he died and he rose again. So your homework is Isaiah 53 and to consider what it means to take up your cross daily. So I've run over as expected. Um, this talk was probably going to be about 10 hours originally. I thought I could get it down to you know, a concise 60 and then a muddled up, you know, 30 to 40 minutes. That's why it's the gospel in one and 40 minutes. So here we go. That was the gospel in 40. Here's the gospel in one minute. I've just met you on the street. I've just met you in the pub. And I just want to make sure I've hit all the points. Here's the points I'm going to hit. God created everything. You, me, animals, the world, the universe. The sins that we do, the things we do wrong, they separate him from us. Sorry, they separate us from him. Instead of dying in our, sin, uh, in our sins, Jesus died in our place. He was the son of God. His death was sufficient to cover every sin ever committed and that will ever be committed. All you need to do is accept Jesus. Accept that he died for you. Accept him as your savior. Your debt will be paid and you will go to heaven and be with him. And depending how you're feeling, consider the consequences if you don't accept them. By accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you become a Christian. But to, become a, but to truly be a Christian, you must be a follower of Christ. And there you have it. That's the gospel in one minute. That's all it takes. That means I go home as a watchman of Magaluf and go, I've said what I was supposed to say. It's that simple. It's the truth. It's just speaking truth into their lives. They may have many questions about every point that I've said. That's the clearest and most concise you can make it without having to go through all the prior knowledge. If you have 40 minutes, add some prior knowledge. Tell them why he's the son of God, what it means to be resurrected, what it means in the end about the resurrection as detailed in Revelation. the band would like to come back up for me. Bart, if you could just do some noodling on the keyboard for me, that would be lovely. I don't know if anyone here has ever done the Alpha course, but they have a common saying of not that.
Okay, maybe this won't work. Thank you, Bart. <laughs> we'll get back to that in a second. But on the alpha course, when they're trying to set it up, they say, don't say no on someone else's behalf. If you know someone and you think they need to hear the gospel, but you're nervous about how they'll react, don't say no on their behalf. If you think they need to come to church to hear the gospel, you don't feel ready to do it yourself, invite them. Don't say no on their behalf. Be confident in what you know about Jesus. Be confident in what you know about the truth. The truth will set them free. Let's believe that. The truth will set them free. Bart is going to share now the truth with us in song form, which is awesome. So if uh, you're feeling nervous about sharing the gospel, people, you can just sing the song to them instead. Thanks, guys. Way too long. You didn't ring the horn. <laughs> is it just Bart's mic that's doing that, or is it me having my mic on while I'm there?
going to risk turning my mic on again. Um, what a fantastic song. Our Father Everlasting, the All-Creative One. God Almighty, through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior, our judge and our defender, suffered and crucified, forgiveness is in you. Descended into darkness, you rose in glorious light, forever seated on high. When you're preaching the gospel, you say to people those words, I believe in God the Father. Speak it with authority, it's true. It's your life, it's what you believe. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I hope you all feel more equipped to share the gospel. I hope you feel excited about the concept of it. Don't say no on anyone else's behalf. Let's get them here. Let's get these seats filled. Let's get a bigger building. Let's get a real drum kit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be blessed. Make the most of every opportunity in this week. And let's come back next week and share the stories of what's happened. Amen. God bless. Enjoy your Sunday. Let's just, let's just see one song more. Is it all right? Oh, all right. Raph's not here. Let's do what we want. <laughs>
Have a blessed week, everyone.